We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. And we're in studio today to talk about another woman that you should know. Mm -hmm. Jasmine, who is this woman we should know? Well, Cheryl, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Today we are going to talk about Joanne Shetler. Now, she's still alive, right? She is still alive. So we're going to move up a little bit modern here. And I have to say, too, I know we've had some people say, are you going to always keep sharing on missionaries? Well, there's so many wonderful ones, but I promise. That you should know. There are so many you should know. That you should know. But we will get into others. I know Cheryl next week is going to share on somebody a little bit different. And so we will be doing that. But you have to know these guys. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So Joe Shetler. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You should know because they really are heroes of the faith. Yes. I mean, because of their sacrifices, because of what they've done for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not yes. let people know about missionaries? Absolutely. Why not? I mean, I, and honestly, I, I know contemporaries, but, you know, I did uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did Susanna Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Yeah. And she was not a missionary. Yeah. So, but she also wasn't contemporary. But we're going to get everybody. We're just not we going to go in a chronological order. Exactly. Because we're just like, oh, this woman, this woman, and we yep. forget. And if we went in a chronological order, then we would have to omit so many because we've already begun. Totally. It would throw us off. It's better this way. Trust yes. us. Trust us. <laughs> so, Joanne Shetler, and this is a fun one, like Cheryl said, because she's still alive. Uh, She was born in 1936, so she's getting up there a little bit, but she's still around. Uh, She was a Wycliffe missionary and is still involved with Wycliffe, actually. Uh, But she ministered to the Balangao people of the Philippines. And I read her story for the first time several years ago. Um, It's called And the Word Came with Power. It was uh, on a recommendation from our friend Joni Dingman. Mm -hmm. And so if Joni recommended it, I thought, well, I better read this. And I loved this story. So... Uh, Joanne, or Joe, uh, grew up on a farm near San Luis Obispo. So that's kind of fun because she was she's a kind of a local girl. girl. That's yes. right. She's a California girl. Yes. And she was very shy and very quiet, but she was raised to push through obstacles and challenges. And I wonder if it's because her parents saw that in her. Like, she needs to be pushed, encouraged a little, you know, mm-hmm. because she's shy. And her dad was constantly stretching her. And uh, when she was only seven years old, he said, hey, Joe, I want you to go and get the tractor and drive it over here. Oh, my. They were out in the field. And how old is she? Seven. That's a little oh bit gosh. pushing it. But but <laughs> yes. that's a little extreme. But it was, in a way, she used that as an example of the fact that, you know, she was learning to push through things that scared her or challenged her. Crazy and, enough, that's what I remember about the book. I really? do remember that part. <laughs> like, I mean, how many times do you read about a 12-year-old driving a tractor, Yeah, a right? little kid. It's like, yes. uh, okay, does she get, like, sit on something to so prop her up? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, Joe got saved when she was 11. And one Sunday, a little while later, a missionary came and was talking about the need for those who would go, for goers to bring the gospel to the unreached people groups of the world. And he was talking about percentages and how there was so much unreached territory and so few missionaries going there. And so Joe had no idea what missionaries did, but she just thought, well, that presentation made sense. I guess I should be a missionary. And so she had a very logical way that she looked at this and decided, okay, I will start praying that God will prepare the hearts of the people that I am going to go to when I'm a missionary, whatever that means. (laughs) 
So uh, she got a little older and that thought just stayed with her. So she went to Biola, another place that's very familiar to many of us in California. Right. Not too far. Not far up the road. Yes. And she felt like, well, I want to focus and study on study missions. And so she did that. And then after she graduated, she heard about the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which some of you might be familiar with. That's through Wycliffe. And uh, so it's a program, I believe it meets at like the University of Oklahoma. I don't know if it still does, but at the time, that's where it met. And she figured, you know, with her logical mind, well, learning languages is important to missions, so I'm going to go do this. And it was so neat because as she just went, not really knowing what to expect, she came to realize that Bible translation was her jam. Like this was her calling and she just loved it and really wanted to learn linguistics so that she could translate it's crazy to me how many languages. people are just naturally gifted with languages. You yes. have a gift like that. But <laughs> yes, but that they want to just take apart the language. And really, it's almost like they're a coder. Yes. You yeah. know, because they're decoding and they're figuring out. Yes. Is, and, and putting phonetic symbols mm-hmm. to all of I mean, it's really mm-hmm. pretty remarkable because this is from the ground up. I mean, they're going to unreached tribes without any written language. So, yes, it really is remarkable and a very unique calling. So, Uh, She did her field training in Mexico, and she was paired up with a gal named Ann Fetzer. And it was so cute when Joe tells the story about how she loved Ann. So remember, Joe is shy, and Ann is very friendly, confident, and outgoing. Everybody loves Ann, and Joe just admires her and thinks the world of her. And it was cool because Ann brought out the best in Joe and really encouraged her, you can do this, and gave her confidence. Um, And so when it came to, uh, you know, deciding on their permanent placement, she really wanted to ask Anne to be her partner, but she was too shy. And so it was so cute because Anne asked her and she was like, oh, she was all excited. Wow, Anne wants to work with me. And so uh, Anne had already been assigned to the Philippines and Joe was called, felt like drawn to Latin America. So she was a little thrown off by this, but she also knew the importance of having like-mindedness in partnership. And so, you know, she prayed and felt like the Lord just kind of released her to go to the Philippines instead. So they get to the Philippines and they scouted and uh, spent a lot of time in prayer. And then they felt like the Lord was calling them to the Balangao tribe. Uh, It was actually a tribe of headhunters. And it was a two days, to to reach them, you had to make a two-day hike from the end of the nearest road. So it's a little bit isolated, which is typical. That's what a lot of the Wycliffe missionaries and translators do. They go to those isolated places. And so the directors at Wycliffe were a little bit hesitant because these are, you know, two younger gals. They're in their mid-late 20s at this point. Um, But they were just convinced this was where the Lord wanted them. And it was kind of neat because kind of a confirmation. Uh, The Balangaos were actually open to Americans, which was unusual for a headhunting tribe uh, because apparently during World War II, the Americans were the only people, outsiders, that treated them with respect and were nice to them. They'd actually killed a lot of other foreigners that had come through, but they liked Americans. And so it was kind of like, well, maybe this is okay. Uh, They had also had some exposure to some Catholic priests at one point. So they kind of felt like, well, maybe this is a a door in. And so uh, the directors released the women to go. So Joe and Anne head into Balangao territory. And the Balangao knew they were expecting Americans but they were horrified when two women showed up. That's not what they had bargained for. (laughs) I mean, they'd never seen white women before, so it was kind of like, ah, this is not what we expected. But they felt like they had to keep their word. They said, well, we're gonna honor our word. We said we'd take Americans, so we have to take these women in. 
And uh, they were very hospitable. Um, they gave the girls what they thought. It was so cute. They gave them what they thought all white people like to eat for their meals. So they gave them uh, mushy right, white rice and Vienna sausages, which are like those canned <laughs> yes. hot dog yes, things. Yes, They're, yes, yes. I don't know. It just sounds really gross to me. Mm-hmm. And then the Balangao, actually, their food was like firm rice with these nice cooked vegetables. And the girls looked longingly at the Balangao food. You wouldn't think normally you'd go to a, a tribe and you would want their food instead of your own. But they were like, man, these Vienna sausages are lame. So, but they were just trying to be polite. So they kept eating their Vienna sausages <laughs> until eventually they were able to connect and with them and let them know, hey, we would love to try your food. So... um, Early on, they were introduced to a man who they initially called Uncle Canal. Uh, he was this little old man, little old Belangao man, and he gave them, first of all, he gave them a house to live in. So they met him I remember right away. this, yes. Wonderful guy, yes. And he told them right away, he announced to them, I will be your father, ladies. And they were kind of like, um, we have dads, that's okay. You know, it was a little bit awkward because they're like, we just met you. But they, they were trying to be gracious. They're like, how about if we call you Uncle <laughs> and he was he was like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but he ended up being so wise and and helpful to them. And we'll talk more about him as we go along here. But he helped them avoid a lot of cultural mistakes early on that would have offended people. He didn't take offense. Instead, he kind of took them under his wing and said, you know, this might be a better approach in this situation. Uh, he also tried to help them with language study. And he told them, he said, you know, it's too bad you're not men. You'd probably do a lot better with this. <laughs> and he said, why don't you just eat more? Uh, why don't you start eating more of our rice? And that might help you, which was probably a blessing to them. They liked the rice that the Balangao ate. And so he said, eat more rice. Maybe that'll loosen your tongues and help you out a little bit. Uh, but what I love is that they didn't get defensive or weird, you know, like today in our American culture, we can get so easily offended about things. But they were just like, okay, thank you for all of these suggestions. And yes, we're women, we're not men, whatever. But they just took it all very graciously with humility. And we'll continue to see that uh, with Joe and her story, the humility that she showed and just, you know, taking on all suggestions. And and I love that because they didn't get, you see throughout their story, they didn't at any time get defensive Uh, They remembered our defense, and this is true in any situation, our defense is of the gospel, not ourselves and not our culture. And I think that's something sometimes we can lose sight of and we start getting defensive for ourselves and for our own sake instead of like remembering, okay, wait, it's about the gospel. And so the Lord really kind of, I don't know, kept them, kept that as their focus. And it was uh, really wise and very helpful. And so it's really sweet because as time went on and, and, you know, Uncle Canal is helping them through all these situations. Gradually, eventually, they actually did start calling him Ama, which means father in that language. And, and he so, was one of the greatest helps to the translation. Oh, man. Yeah. He ended up becoming a huge, exactly, as we'll see, a big support. Okay. We will forward. see. Oh, I, I will get there. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, but you're right. He was. <laughs> so uh, the Balangaos had uh, no sense of privacy or personal space. And we've seen this with some of the other missionaries we talked about. I remember when yes. Cheryl was talking about Isabel Kuhn. And some of those issues she had with just the, yeah, the personal space and people coming in and kind of ruining their belongings and all of that sort of thing. And so people would come into the house all the time. They'd look around. They'd open things, I mean, without asking. It was just what they did. And they constantly asked Ann and Joe why they had come. Why are you here? And so they had a reply. And I think this was probably must have been one of the first phrases they learned in Bellingau. And Anne and Joe would say, we want to translate God's word into your language so you can know God. And the people would look at them and say, 
yes, but why are you here? Why Mm -hmm. did you come? Like it made no connection with them at all. (laughs) And so later they actually found out the Balangaos decided, regardless of what they said about why they were there, the Balangaos decided, well, they've come so they can sell our language in America. Either that or they're looking for husbands. That's probably why they're here. (laughs) They, They want a man. So they didn't get it, but that's okay. This is what, you know, eventually it would take. So they start settling in. Uh, They begin helping in practical ways uh, among the people. Of course, they're learning the language the whole time and trying to really capture that. But they're also helping with medical aid. Um, In fact, within the first few weeks of of arriving, and this is kind of interesting, this doesn't always happen, but the people were pretty receptive to some help uh, medically. And um, Joe was able to start actually serving as a midwife for women that were uh, pregnant because the Balangao prior to this, they, when somebody was in labor, when a woman was in labor, they would not allow them to eat, drink any water or sleep. You had to just stay awake and not have any kind of nutrition during labor. So if you had a really long labor, I mean, it was devastating. In fact, women would die. I mean, they had a lot of death in childbirth or death after the baby was born uh, where women couldn't recover. And so, you know, they accepted Joe's assistance and began to realize oh, our women are living through childbirth much better. So they were received pretty early on because of this, this help, which was a blessing. And then Joe and Anne began to learn about the spirits uh, that dominated the lives of the people in this tribe. And I mean, I have to say this was the part that stood out to me the most. Uh, in the story. So the people, the Balangao people were in serious bondage to demons. Um, Whenever somebody got sick, whenever something bad happened, you know, our automatic response would be like, okay, well, what's the cure for this? What, What is this disease? What medicine do we need to take? Their response was always, how did we offend the spirits? We did something to offend a spirit. Maybe we stepped on a spirit's child when we were in the woods. Maybe we walked too near to their house when we were traveling. Well, they also would blame others, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that part of it? And you could be blamed for something you had nothing to do with. Yes. And be in big trouble with the tribe. It was very, yes, it was very superstitious. Something yes. might, an omen might direct yes. you, oh, it was that person. And right. it had nothing to do with them. Omens were a big deal. And it's kind of interesting. You know, we look at the rainbow as a sign of God's promise. They saw it as a bad sign that something was going to go down. And so it's just interesting how they had taken these things. Uh, It was strange. Like even like, this is kind of weird, but the pattern of an animal's bile could actually prevent people from getting married. It was really strange the things that they would look at. Well, strange to us. Right, right. Well, I don't know. There are people who look at tea leaves. What can we say? Exactly. Hey, the phrenologist with Mildred Cable feeling her head. That's right. So, um, so the this only, is not new to us. This is not new. Yeah, psh, this is no. We've we've been through. This yeah. is not our first rodeo. <laughs> so the only remedy that the people knew to do any to any of these problems was animal sacrifice, and so they would have a medium or a witch doctor basically come and get possessed and tell them what the demons wanted them to sacrifice. Okay, now if I remember right, when they when this first service went down, when they heard one of these, it was terrifying to them. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because okay. I actually record, I, I wrote and I put her own words here because I yes. wanted to tell this little story right. that captured the way she saw it. Yes. Um. So nice lead in. She okay. said, I'll never forget the first time Anne and I saw the spirits possess someone. We hadn't been living there very long when little Aglipay contracted pneumonia. I'd given him an injection of penicillin, but the spirits, speaking through a medium, told the parents not to allow their son to have another injection. Mm. The third day, his breathing was labored, and it became precariously shallow and slow. Obviously, he couldn't last much longer. 
The old spirit medium was called, sacrifices were made. She called the spirits by name to come. She convulsed and shook, and then, stiff as a board, she passed out. People gathered around her, and when she came to, they started asking the spirits questions. What did we do wrong? What do you want for sacrifice? The woman spoke in a male spirit's voice. Mm. The spirits simply wanted some pigs and chickens, so they had made the boy sick to get the parents' attention. In exchange for the boy's life, they'd accept three pigs, two chickens, and some rice and wine and beads. The father was immensely relieved because he could meet the spirits' demands. The negotiations were finished. With a violent wrenching, the spirits left the medium. The men scurried to kill the animals and offer their souls to the spirits, and the dying child was well by the next day. Kind of gnarly, because not only are they watching the medium, you know, get possessed and everything, but then they watch the child actually get better. And so it's like, wow, there is some kind of a power power there. And they weren't expecting that. And so, you know, very, very challenging. And I know for us in the West, this can be a little bit out of our depth, but it's very real. And it's interesting because the supernatural, as we're going to see in the rest of the story, is so normal. It was so normal to these people. I I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, we're almost in greater danger sometimes in the West because we are so sophisticated, quote unquote, that we don't think the supernatural is real. And so it's in a way it's easier for Satan to deceive us and to put us in bondage in other ways. But either way, whatever the means, Satan is always doing the same thing, putting people into bondage, fear, uh, ruining their lives, causing death, you know, Mm -hmm. regardless of where. But I just think, wow. So. Ann and Joe really struggled with how to reach these people. How are we going to show them that Jesus is greater than these spirits? Because, I mean, the spirit actually let somebody live. It's like, uh uh-oh, what do we do here? Well, the cool thing is it all started with one of the people themselves. And her name was Tekla. And Tekla was the daughter of the most powerful medium or witch doctor in the area. And supposedly she had descended from an evil spirit herself. That was the story. But ironically, she refused to sacrifice to the spirits. So this is kind of crazy. You know, mm-hmm. the people looked at her as like a, you know, deity, powerful, almost. yes, mm-hmm. a powerful being. But she would not sacrifice. Uh, what had happened was, remember I mentioned those Catholic priests that had kind of cruised through at one point briefly into the Balango uh, tribe. And they had done this when Tekla was a little girl. And she had heard from the priests. She didn't understand a lot of what they said. But, you know, she had picked up on the fact that there was a God out there, a God in heaven who loved little kids. And so she hoped someday, man, I would like to know that God. And so she decided maybe if I never sacrifice to the spirits, he'll come to me. And I think that's so interesting that she was able to distinguish between the spirits and their evil power and the fact that there was a good God out there somewhere. And so the spirits uh, hounded her mercilessly as she grew up and she started a family. They would appear to her as these big black dogs and just try to intimidate her all the time. And it got to the point as a young woman where she was getting she was getting to where she was kind of weakening and thinking, maybe I will sacrifice just to get them off my back. I just can't hold out anymore. And where is God? Is there a God? I thought there might be. And so it's so neat because right at that moment where she was kind of deciding whether she was going to sacrifice or not, that's when Ann and Joe came into the tribe. And it was uh, funny because Tekla was one of the many people who had uh, come and asked the girls why they were there. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) by the time Tekla asked, Ann and Joe were getting a little bit over it. They're like, we came so that we can put God's word in a book so you can know God. And they Mm -hmm. they knew, okay, yeah, you're going to ask why we're here. 
But they were shocked when Tekla said, really? I want to know God. And they were like, wait, you do? <laughs> Nobody else has wanted to know God. What do we do now? And so um, they invited her to kind of come alongside, help with the translation work and yep. see who Jesus was. And um, it was interesting because she hung out for a while and it took a while because she still wasn't connecting the dots. And Joe started to get a little bit frustrated because, uh, you know, this was her one of her big lessons to learn was patience because she just thought, well, if you want to know God, here it is. Let's do this. But Tekla took time. She was learning and growing. And then one day, just out of nowhere, Tekla showed up and said, oh, by the way, I gave my life to Jesus. It was almost anticlimactic. And it really taught Joe uh, about like the timing of the Lord and that he works and moves in his time. And it might not look like what you think. And that's going to be a lesson she'll continue to learn as we go. So, yeah, and that's something we see, too, is that she a lot of so many times she just kind of watched God do the work. You know, she would kind of plant the seeds. God gave the increase, which is really what the Bible says. So <laughs> um, after a few years, Anne received a marriage proposal from a old um it was like an old high school or childhood friend. So she left, but Joe stayed on. And by this time, uh, she and Anne, Anne stayed to help lay the foundation, lay the groundwork for uh, the language, the written language, so that they could start translating. And so Joe had begun translating the Gospels. And there was a gal who assisted her, a childless woman uh, named Andrea or Andrea. I don't know. That's one of those names we yes, don't know how is. to pronounce. <laughs> Andrea? 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 Yes. <laughs> so she and her husband had sacrificed to the spirits for years to try to have children, but to no avail. And so, you know, Joe Noah knew about this, invited her to come along and help. And it was interesting. When Joe came to Mark chapter 5, Jesus is casting out demons. And Andrea, Andrea said, oh, 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 you translated that part wrong. People can't cast out demons. They come when they want. They leave when they want. The demons are in control, not people. And this was the perfect open door for Joe to say, you know what? Jesus is no ordinary man. And so she was able to point this out to her and show the power of Jesus. So God began to open these doors. And Andrew was a little bit like, hmm, she was a little bit skeptical and had to think about it uh, and didn't respond immediately. But a few months later, one day, just like with Tecla, she just walked in and kind of casually said, I gave my life to Jesus, by the way. And Joe's like, really? You did? I had no idea. And so, and she said, oh, and you know what? I, I asked Jesus, you know, to give me a baby. I figured, well, he's more powerful than the spirits and I'm pregnant. And so she gets pregnant just with that straightforward, simple faith. The Lord um, blesses and opens her womb. She gets pregnant. Joe's so excited. But then Joe goes away on furlough for a little while. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Andrea gives birth and has the baby. Well, uh, right before Joe came back from furlough, the baby dies. And so as Joe gets back, she is just devastated and worried because she was thinking like everybody in the tribe knows she got she gave her life to Jesus and then the baby died. Now, nobody's going to want to know Jesus. Nobody's going to want to get saved. Um, but it was so amazing. I love how the Lord does this. He just kept kind of breaking down all of Joe's preconceptions about how he was going to work. And what happened was, for the first time, the people who had witnessed all of this, they began to ask Joe, because of the baby's death, they began to ask Joe about eternity, about death, and what happens in the afterlife. And God began to work in their hearts. It was like, wow, I was not expecting this. Not only that, and this is so cool to me, Andrea's faith never wavered. And I love what Joe said about this. She said, it never occurred to Andrea to question God's right to do whatever he wanted. Balangaus understood the supernatural to be all-powerful and never to be questioned. 
And that's how Andrea saw the God of heaven. Her grief had no anger mixed with it. She just thought, well, God is the most powerful. And I also know he loves me, so he must know what he's doing. And I was, I know, I remember when I was reading this story, I was challenged so much because of just their perspective of God. It's straightforward and simple, but also very elevated, very exalted, you know, acknowledging God has all wisdom and power and love. And I just thought, man, I, I want to learn from that example. You know, sometimes we put God in our image instead of viewing him as sovereign and knowing what he's doing. And so just her way of being able to move forward in her relationship with God victorious was miraculous. So Joe is continuing her translation work and she gets to Matthew chapter one. Um, and I'm not sure she must have done the gospel of Mark first and then done Matthew. I don't know the way the story's told. If she just skipped around. That's what I remember. But, yeah. <laughs> so um, she's translating Matthew one and Amma, right? They're her dad. <laughs> he came in and uh, was looking at what she was working on. And he saw uh, in Matthew one, the genealogy. And he's looking at this list of names and he's reading through it. And Joe saw what he was doing. And she said, oh, 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 oh just skip the names. You'll get to the good part after that. That's just a list of names. It's not really that interesting. And she was thinking, eh, why would he want to look at that? But she was surprised because Amma was so excited about the genealogy. <laughs> and she's like, why? Why are you so excited about this? And this is what he said to her. He said, we always thought it was the rock and the banana plant that gave birth to people, but we didn't have any names written down. Look, here are all the names written down all the way back to the first man. And it shows God created them, you know? And so this just floored him. It was so exciting. He took the list and ran all over the village to tell everybody. And this was a huge uh, turning point in validating the Bible for the people, something Joe never would have expected. And plus, again, this is how Amma really got saved. Eventually, he would become, like you were saying, a huge help in the translation work and a Christian leader in the tribe. He became one of the one of the pastors. I think he first wanted to teach uh, the book of 1 John because he loved um, how John uh, uh, emphasized God's love. And he just thought, oh, if the people hear this. But I do remember, too, that he was hanging out with them. And at, first, and at times, it would just seem a little bit um, almost like they needed a break. But yes. he, he, he just wanted to learn yep. all that he could, especially once he understood it. He wanted just to be there at every yes, translation. Yes, every opportunity. Every opportunity. Yes, and yes. they realized what a blessing that was. Yes. And just learning that was to be the patient. patient. Yep. Yep, exactly. Learning that patience. And even just the fact that we forget God can use any part of his word, right? All word, all, all scripture is given by God and is inspired and God breathed. And so God can use a genealogy. <laughs> As so, we know, we I, did the legacy of the king, and we just did Matthew yes, chapter 1. Yes, when we yes. did that study, exactly. So uh, Amma actually played a huge role in bringing others in the tribe to Christ. He helped Joe understand uh, oral tradition culture. And again, this was part of her learning patience, the process of question and answer, uh, that it was to test validity. They weren't trying to annoy her by asking questions all the time. It was to show the validity of Scripture. And so she just said, he just said, be patient, Joe. And she mm -hmm. came to realize what masters the Balangal were at interpersonal relationships. And so you see uh, the beautiful lesson of being teachable and being mm -hmm. humble enough to receive. She learned a lot. as She comes in as the teacher, but she realized, I'm the student here. Mm -hmm. I can learn from these people. And what a beautiful thing for any area of our lives to learn to stay teachable and open to what the Lord wants to show us. So uh, obviously, uh, the evil spirits would retaliate 
But the believers understood that that's what it was. They understood that it was retaliation. The Holy Spirit taught them and, and gave them discernment, and it just amazed her. Um, everything eventually, uh, for those that were still skeptical, it really came to a head with one of the mediums uh, that Joe actually led to Christ. It was this really bold, crazy story. I encourage you to read it because it's pretty remarkable how this uh, medium, this witch doctor woman, got saved um, and learned the power of the name of Jesus and it delivered her. That really validated to those that were still skeptical. And before Joe know it, she had like practically the whole tribe giving their lives to Jesus as they saw his power. And he began to just move and work in so many wonderful ways. And and I like I said, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I love how all of these things were breaking down her preconceptions. And she saw at the end of the day, she said, I had to resign as the manager of God's glory. He knew how to get mm. himself glory in bringing these people uh, to himself. And so uh, it's just is a beautiful story of how God moved and worked. It, it's ministered to me. Uh, anytime I think about, you know, spiritual warfare and, the, and you know, the, you know, power and you can get, get overwhelmed thinking about, oh, the enemy, but to remember the power of the name of Jesus in such a vivid way through this story. Uh, the Balangal Bible was finished in 1979. They made final revisions in 1981. After 20 years, the Balangal Bible was finished. Uh, Joe is, of course, elderly now. She lives in the States, but a couple years ago, she went back to visit when she was 78. She's still going back to visit her beloved people. So that is the story of Joe Shuttler. Again, you can check out more in uh, her book, And the Word Came with Power. You know what I was thinking, too? Um, I remember reading that uh, book quite a few years ago, mm. but I was thinking maybe people who probably won't have the opportunity to read the book, but maybe have questions. Maybe right. that would be something to write in to. Yes, to our email. Um, but so if you have a question about someone that we've, you know, talked about this week or last mm -hmm. week or any of the weeks that, you know, just write into us. And then again, if you have a woman that you yes. would like us to highlight, maybe an aunt, a sister, a mentor, somebody special in your life, or maybe somebody you just think we should know about and highlight. Mm -hmm. Again, there are a lot of people on our list, but we'd be more than happy to add another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please. So this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut saying thanks for joining us this week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.